This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for March 9th, and we begin this morning in Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. And when we left yesterday, Moses was bringing the complaints of the Israelites before the Lord about the lack of meat, and he has called together the 70 elders as requested by the Lord. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the 70 elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp, with the elders of Israel. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction there were quail flying around about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and the next day too. No one gathered less than fifty bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. So that place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of gluttony, because there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. From Kibroth Hatava to the uh, the Israelites traveled to Hazeroth, where they stayed for some time. While they were at Hazeroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses, Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with him, and he departed. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her, 
skin as white as snow from leprosy. When Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. Reuben, Shammah, Shemua, son of Zakur, Simeon, Shaphat, son of Horai, Judah, Caleb, son of Zephunneh, Issachar, Igal, son of Joseph, Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun, Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu, Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodai, Manasseh, son of Joseph, Gadai, son of Susai, Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali, Asher, Sethur, son of Michael, Naphtali, Nahabi, son of Zophsi, Gad, Geul, son of Machai. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. Moses called Hoshea, son of Nun, by the name Joshua. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahiman, uh, Sheshai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian town of Zoan. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. After exploring the land for forty days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen, and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. They, um, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. 
The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explore will devour anyone who goes there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought, too. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this, for it is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me, for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. They went to the olive grove, called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him a kiss. 
Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some kind of dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you, teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Psalm 52, a psalm of David, regarding the time Doeg the Edomite said to Saul, David has gone to see Ahimelech. Why do you boast about your crimes, great warrior? Don't you realize God's justice continues forever? All day long you plot destruction. Your tongue cuts like a sharp razor. You're an expert at telling lies. You love evil more than good and lies more than truth. You love to destroy others with your words. You liar. But God will strike you down once and for all. He will pull you from your home and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see it and be amazed. They will laugh and say, look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust their wealth instead and grow more and more bold in their wickedness. But I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will praise you forever, O God, for what you have done. I will trust in your good name in the presence of your faithful people. Proverbs 11, 1-3 The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. And to end today, I'm back in Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot, and she's talking in this chapter about acceptance, and she qualifies this as not acceptance for things that we can and should change, but acceptance for the things that we cannot change and perhaps are the source of our suffering. She writes, The Apostle Paul, remember, prayed for the removal of that thorn in his flesh, and what was the answer? He prayed three times that God would remove that thorn, and the answer was, My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. And it's very interesting. It's very significant, I think, that Paul says, I was given a thorn in the flesh to keep me from becoming absurdly conceited. And then he says, it was a messenger of Satan. Now, it seems like a contradiction because obviously it had to be God who cares whether he becomes absurdly conceited. Satan would be delighted if we become absurdly conceited. But he said, in order to keep me from becoming absurdly, absurdly conceited over a particular spiritual experience, which he has just described in that chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, he said, in order to keep me from that, I was given a thorn in the flesh. So it was a messenger of Satan, he says. So if you get all hung up thinking now, this is this thing from God, or is this from Satan? Is this the voice of God, or is this the voice of Satan? Stop worrying about it. You don't really need to sort that out, because here's a case where the thorn was, in a sense, given by God as a messenger of Satan. And there's another, at least one other, example in Scripture that I can think of, the same apparent contradiction, where Joseph says to his brothers that it was they who sent him into Egypt. 
but he says God sent me into Egypt. We know that Joseph's brothers were sinning against him, and yet it was God who sent him there. So when the answer was no about the thorn in the flesh, and was the answer of Jesus's prayer in Gethsemane, which we just read, we know that there's nothing wrong with praying that God will solve our problems and heal our diseases and pay our debts and sort out our marital difficulties. It's right and proper that we should bring such requests to God. We're not praying against his will. But when the answer is no, then we know that God has something better at stake. Far greater things are at stake. There is another level, another kingdom, an invisible kingdom, which you and I cannot see now, but toward which we move and to which we belong. So today, as you go through your day, I hope that we can all keep that vision of the kingdom to come and have hope even in unanswered prayers that it is God in his great love that is answered for our best and our good. Love you all. Have a wonderful day. 